Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Not surprisingly, in a presidential year, sex scandals, peccadillos, and inappropriate behavior are topic number one. And of course, our expert on all things related to those topics is the one and only Philip Tersian, our literary editor and expert on presidential misbehavior. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me to be here. (laughs) I know this is right in your wheelhouse. So as we speak... And I have to say it that way because the number keeps changing. There are now seven women who claim that sometime in the past 30-plus years they've had a contact with Donald Trump that involved inappropriate touching. Some of them kind of I would describe as small potatoes in the sense that it's a kiss in the public uh, on the lips that they didn't really want, which right. to me is just kind of rude and boorish. But right. then the other ones are more disturbing, involving sure. groping and, and physical force, et cetera. And then, of course, we have Donald Trump caught on tape bragging about treating women this way. So that's that's the Trump story. But you reminded me that when it comes to political misbehavior, this really doesn't even get in the top 10 for American politicians, does it? No. Well, I mean, you know, sexual misbehavior has been a a, uh, a theme that has run through <laughs> American history and presidential history for a very long time. Not to mention human history. Human history as well. Yeah, I know when people want to compare Donald Trump's alleged bad behavior, they jump right to the Bill Clinton comparison because it's so obvious. Powerful men using their power to get what they want, particularly from younger women. But you mentioned sex scandals go all the way back. I think about the, you know, Hamilton right now is a huge hit. Alexander Hamilton, who was involved with a young lady and twisted himself in pretzels to try to be, you know, to, to handle his impropriety and the high moral, to the point that people are like, just shut up, dude. We, you don't have to write any more letters about it. You don't have to throw yourself on the ground more well, about Well, you could it, argue but. that, um, I mean, nowadays these things are all in the open. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had innumerable presidential candidates over the years, uh, Lyndon Johnson, Wendell mm-hmm. Wilkie, John F. Kennedy, of whom there were allegations of innumerable <laughs> such um, events. Right. Um, however, the, the, Curious thing is that if you go far enough back, namely to Alexander Hamilton, mm-hmm. who paid blackmail to the husband mm-hmm. of his of his lover, uh, or Thomas Jefferson, ah. uh, these were not uh, kept secret. Of mm-hmm. course, the Jefferson allegations about Sally Hemings were published in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about the the Jefferson scandal to me is to is that nowadays in 2016, our culture profoundly wants to believe in the Jefferson-Heming scandal. And so they have accepted what is very, very problematic DNA evidence. They like Mm -hmm. the idea that a slave-owning president would be a hypocrite about these things. And the evidence, in my view, is is actually Mm -hmm. very, very sketchy and possibly uh, not valid. But everybody has embraced it, including the people at Monticello. My favorite inappropriate political story is Grover Cleveland. And the reason why I think it's my favorite is because of the way that Cleveland and his group kind of handle it. So uh, take us back to the late 1800s. 1884. And the the Democratic nominee for president was Grover Cleveland, who was the governor of New York. He'd been, you know, uh, talk about someone coming from nowhere. He'd been governor of New York for two years and been mayor of Buffalo for two years before (laughs) that. There's a kind of Clintonian quality to Cleveland in a curious way because just as Bill Clinton uh, d- declined to serve in the military, Cleveland was a draft dodger in the Civil War. And one of the – I mean you could buy a substitute in right. those days, which is what he, what he and Henry James and other people did. <laughs> um, but in Cleveland's case, um, it was the first election after the Civil War where – 
the issue of what you did during the war was not decisive. Mm -hmm. The American people actually elected someone who didn't bother to to fight in the war. Anyway, while he was a randy young lawyer in Buffalo, um, he got a woman named Maria Halpin pregnant, and uh, she had the child. And in fact, um, what's interesting about the Cleveland case, too, is that we tend to think that in the recent past, these things were all hushed up and, right. and covered up and whatnot. Victorian style and shame. Especially in and the and height upper, of the right. Victorian era. And in fact, Cleveland immediately and uh, publicly acknowledged the facts. Of the, he said there was some uncertainty about who the father was, <laughs> but he didn't hide from it. He didn't go after Maria Halpin. It was, right. it was a kind of a, a brazen uh, feat of candor that uh, may not have helped him, but it didn't harm him. So he didn't go out and say, drag a $100 bill through a trailer park and you never know what will happen, that kind of thing? No, he deliberately, I mean, there, everyone was, I mean, the, the Democrats were prepared to do and eager yeah. to do all that, but he, he said no. And so he was elected president running against? James G. Blaine, who was the Republican Speaker of the House from Maine, whose, whose own uh, tarnished resume was that he was <laughs> accused of, uh, what we now would call financial improprieties mm-hmm. of, of the trading votes for cash, you know, some of which may or may not have been true. So you had the choice between a James a, G. Blaine, the notorious liar from the state of Maine, the continental liar, continental. From the state thank, of Maine. thank you. Thanks for correcting me on that. And then you had uh, Grover, Mama, where's my pa, Cleveland. Under the White that House, sounds, ha, ha, ha. That sounds awfully, there's a ring to that. You know what I mean? That's That doesn't seem like 18. <laughs> No, it doesn't. And, and on election night, they sang hurrah for Maria, hurrah for the kid. We voted for Grover and we're damn glad we did. And probably the and, word damned was the most exactly. shocking thing about that. And then he was defeated as an incumbent president. He was. And came back and did something no one else has ever done, served two non-consecutive terms as president. Which has complicated States. the question of what yeah, number any exactly. president has been since then. So that's my the, the story that I you know find fascinating. What of, of the... Scandals and peccadilloes, which one do you find the most interesting? Well, for some reason, and it may be just because of of a book about the 1920s that I discovered when I was a young boy, um, the Harding uh, scandal is the most interesting to me. Um, The the facts are fairly straightforward. Uh, Warren G. Harding, who had been a newspaper publisher, was the senator from Ohio, and he had a brief affair with a – Let's see, how old was Nan Britton at the time? I guess she was about 19 or 20, a young constituent who was infatuated with him. They they met at various places around uh, New York and Washington. <laughs> and um, allegedly, she became pregnant and gave birth. And why this is somewhat uh, famous is because, of course, in 1920, Warren Harding was the dark horse candidate, and he was famously asked – by the party elders, is there anything in your background? And and he's asked for ten minutes to think about it, and, <laughs> and said no. And in fact, the, the 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 story of Nan Britton and the baby didn't come out until several years after he had died. He died. I just love the idea. Of, let me have let me have a few minutes to think about that. That is so Clinton esque to me. Well, it was smart. I mean, he you could imagine that he was going over his life's right. history and weighing whether. <laughs> What well, you know, one thing is more important than another. How quickly can I get that envelope full of cash to the right house? Is it true that he was almost caught in medias race, as they say in the White House? No, tell everyone the story. Tell the story. A, there's a there was a book. Pub- well, of course, Harding died in 1923, and 
the greatest uh, president ever in the United States and, followed. Okay. And um, you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> that, that's what happened. It has nothing to do with Coolidge. It was more that right after Harding died, some scandals emerged within mm-hmm. his administration. There was never any allegation that Harding himself was was uh, guilty of any of these things. But there were some mostly financial scandals involved with the Harding administration, which was deeply tainted as a consequence. And in 19, I think, 31, there was a book uh, published entitled um, Incredible Era by I want to say James Truslow Adams, Samuel Hopkins Adams, excuse me, which and I think others like Alice Roosevelt, Longworth, Teddy's um, um, uh, gossipy daughter and so on, uh, like to tell the story that uh, Harding was meeting with Nan Britton in a closet in the White House when the Secret Service stumbled. At, none of that seems to be. There's no evidence that Nan Britton ever visited the White House. He had so, cut off. the No Nan Britton in the closet story. No, I Darn. don't think it's true. Sorry. The president that I think of when I think of Donald Trump and this kind of misbehavior is LBJ. I didn't know that much about his personal life, and then I've read the Caro biography, which is just – it's five bazillion pages, yes. and I cannot put it down. It is his life. He LBJ, who I think was a horrible president and yes. not a good person, was one of the most fascinating people I've ever read about. And the stories of him – Making advances to, I mean, he wasn't a good-looking man. I, I think, can we agree? I mean, no, people didn't say, hey, that's, sure. you know, particularly compared to Kennedy, and that's not fair. But even just, right. I mean, just, no one's going to say movie star, good looks. He wasn't particularly charming in that kind of uh, sexual, you know, bantering kind of way. He had a different kind of kind of more manly, southern, you know, backroom political charm. And Classic I Scotch-Irish looks. The number of times he apparently... Did or attempted to essentially use his political office for well, I would favors. I would I would take a slightly different view. Okay, of it. Um, all the stories about Lyndon Johnson are true. They're more characteristically Washington, though. Mm-hmm. He was a powerful senator ah, okay. who Good seemed to, to have it. sex with every third secretary <laughs> on Capitol Hill. Do you believe which... the story about the climbing into the bed? And, and I am your president. Do you know the story I'm talking about? I, I where do. Where he allegedly – I think it's – This one woman of those, says, Mr. Johnson, what are you doing? It's and one of those apocryphal I stories. I am your president. That, it, that seems it, to be the answer. It fulfills <laughs> our expectations. I'm not sure it actually happened. But uh, in in the Johnson era, powerful senators, no matter what they looked like, mm-hmm. always could rely on an endless supply of young women coming to Washington eager to sleep with them. And that's LBJ. The The more obvious Trump parallel, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is his predecessor, John F. Kennedy, who had a much – who not only enjoyed the favors of secretaries on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill, but he had a taste for movie stars, mm-hmm. uh, international jet sure. set type, much more Trumpian than that. Right. I, mean, I mean there was a – we now romanticize Camelot, but you could also argue and there was a kind of – cheapening of the presidential culture under mm-hmm. Kennedy. Suddenly it was the presidency of the Rat Pack and right. Joe Kennedy's Hollywood and that sort of thing. And John F., who was a charming, good-looking man, took full advantage of that. That strikes me as a little more Trumpian mm-hmm. than LBJ's standard senatorial groping. Career. Here's what I would say th- th- why I disagree with you. If you took LBJ, uh, Donald Trump, and JFK – Strip them of their power and everything. Just you know, three guys in three suits at a bar in Vegas. Who's going to leave with an attractive woman on his arm? I think it's going to be JFK. I think, like LBJ, Trump needs the power, the money, 
you know, I, I don't. That could at least be, that, although, that's, what I, that's what strikes me. Trump is now what seventy years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, in his heyday, thirty well, years ago, he was forty. He was a somewhat better looking guy. <laughs> I mean, you have to. I see what you're saying. This is. I've I've had to explain this to the young people around the audience about. Uh, our friend Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. It may be hard to believe, but 50 years ago, Bill Cosby was a sexy young guy oh, who played a professional tennis player mm-hmm. on television, and women were lining up to uh, get his autograph, mm-hmm. as it were. Now, you might not be able to grasp that <laughs> when you look at him today. Dr. Huxtable. Uh, who has to, you know, uh, right. give women uh, Mickeys, as they used to say, <laughs> but. But um, you know, the, Trump in his heyday probably but he, but had it was still same. was money. I, I'm sorry. I think if you take the money and power away, you do, it, it's just no, I'm, it's I'm not. Sure, no, I, Whereas I mean, JFK, JFK could have been born in a sharecropper's son, and he still would have. Uh, are you talking about looks? Yeah, or, looks and charm. I mean, he had he had the whole. Well, the charm was probably a consequence of his mm. upbringing, and you know, he'd gone to Harvard, and right. you know, lived in London, and he was a teenager, and all that sort of thing. I think they're kind of more equal. Do you have one more political slash presidential peccadillo story to share with us in the context of the Trump scandal? Well, just for an example of how things do change. I mean, I always like the Peggy Eaton affair, which is now unimaginable, but. Um, when Andrew Jackson became president in 1828, uh, his secretary of war was a man named John Eaton, uh, who had, I think, been a member of Congress, but was a respectable politician. Sure. Anyway, he, he was married to a woman named Peggy Eaton, who was a uh, lass of Irish descent, whose father had been a, a tavern keeper. And Peggy was therefore um, of a somewhat um, downscale <laughs> origins. And there may even have been allegations, probably untrue, about her moral stature mm-hmm. and so on. Well, they, it was sufficient that the cabinet wives of the Jackson administration boycotted uh, Peggy Eaton socially. Uh, any event that President Jackson put on where the Eatons would be present, mm-hmm. the wives of Secretary of War John C. Calhoun and so on would not attend. Jackson, <laughs> who who himself had had, of course, as you know, he had adult uh, bigamy allegations mm-hmm. against him and his wife when he was running for president, was increasingly irritated by this. He tried everything he could to to mediate, reconcile, persuade, um, and finally, in the end, it was so um, uh, it was so incurable a problem that he ended up firing his entire cabinet and starting over from scratch. So the power of minor <laughs> allegations about a relatively minor cabinet mm-hmm. wife can be profound in American history. And it's truly profound. Those are the stories that we bring you to the podcast for, Philip Terzian, and you never let us down. I'll, get you, I'll let you get back to your peccadilloing about the office Thank now. You. Thank you so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. Remember, you never have to miss another podcast. Just go to iTunes.com and subscribe. I'm your host, Michael Graham.